Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from the Horsham Church of Christ. For more information, please visit our website at www.horsham.org.au. If you uh, have your Bibles, you might like to open them or turn them on, as the case may be, to Exodus chapter 32. Uh, We will be in Exodus chapter 3 for a short bit and... uh, couple of chapters in there. If you don't, uh, if you open up your Bibles and uh, turn over the pages, it's about page 110, around that kind of area, 100 to 110. Uh, if you've downloaded the Bible app, version, uh, you can also look up the Horsham Church of Christ in events and there you can follow the text or the various texts that we will be using today. You can write notes, you can highlight in that. And then uh, if you save it, you've got some notes for personal reflection or life group reflection, as the case may be, throughout the week. And you're more than welcome to tap into that as well. There are times in my life where uh, I can be easily distracted. Uh, that's, that is not when I'm watching a football. Um, I somehow managed to be able to keep my focus when I'm watching the football. Uh, so even preparing this message uh, this week and planning for the message and trying to shape it, uh, I think of an email that I haven't written and I, you know, it would only take two minutes to write an email. The problem is when it takes two minutes to write an email, you're checking the other emails that come in and download it. So while you're checking your email and taking the two minutes to write your email, you're also responding to the other emails that come and they all take only about 30 seconds generally. You know, if I need to give a bit of time, I'll leave it for a day or two. But, you know, 30 seconds responding to one email becomes 30 seconds responding to another email, and pretty soon I've wasted half an hour on emails. Um, Not wasted because, you know, it's responding to people, but it's not intentional. It's not what I wanted to focus on. So I can get a little bit distracted. I remember when Andrew and I were living in Melbourne, and uh, I was uh, studying, and... um, and Andrea would say, oh, I'll take the kids down to Ballarat or I'll go out for the day and that way you'll be able to get your assignments done. And I don't know what happened as soon as Andrea walked out of the house, but I found all these wonderful distractions. Um, the house was actually too quiet. I would wander around the house for a bit. I would find what I could eat for a bit. I would sit down on my assignment for a bit. I would stand up and flick the TV channel on and that was when there were only three channels on TV. Um, and, and it took me about an hour an hour, even longer sometimes, to actually get started on writing assignments. Now, what I know about you, some of you might be more focused than me. Some of you might be more intentional than me. Some of you might have a greater capacity to be more disciplined than me. But I suspect that we might all struggle at times in choosing what we give attention to, in choosing what we will be deliberate with and what we will focus about and what, how we respond to very, the very things that have been given to us. So the very things that have been given for our enjoyment are the very things that can demand a lot of focus and attention and cause us a great deal of distraction as well. As, I, as we said earlier in the service, we do really want to welcome you um, into the Horsham Church of Christ as part of the Horsham Church of Christ. Uh, over the next few weeks, you're invited to journey into something new with us. And while there's uh, an element of this where it's about our move into new facilities and what that looks like in the in-between space, more significantly, we want to journey into God's unfolding story. 
But our struggle in the, in the unfolding story that God's invited us into is the distractions that we encounter along the way. This was just as true for the people of Israel as they were led out of slavery. In Exodus 3 last week, we heard the story in Exodus chapter 2 and 3, uh, we heard the story of Moses being raised an Israelite, born an Israelite. He was put into the river Nile. He was rescued by Pharaoh's daughter. He was raised by his mother um, and Pharaoh's daughter paid for uh, Moses' mother to raise him for a number of years. He was then raised in the Egyptian palace. So he understood the Israelite way. He understood the Egyptian way. He understood the challenges, uh, the power structures, the oppression that was happening there. Uh, he finally sees two, uh, an Egyptian man beating up on an Israelite man. He kills the Egyptian man. The next day we're told he goes out and he sees two Israelite men, two Hebrew men fighting. And he stops them from fighting. They call him out. They know that he's been, he knows that he's been found out. Pharaoh hears about it and Moses runs for his life, which is a normal response for everybody. Moses runs for his life and he spends 40 years then looking after someone else's sheep, his father-in-law's sheep significantly, until he encounters God in a burning bush, a bush that invites him into holy ground and into holy space where God says, I have heard the cries of my people. I have seen their misery. I have concerned for their suffering and I've come down to rescue them. Now that I've come down to rescue them, Moses, you're the one responsible to go and lead my people into the promised land I have for them. The promised land I have set aside for them. The promised land I have ordained and already provided for them. You're the one who's going to lead them there. Moses objects to this. He's full of objections, but one of those was, who am I? And obviously we talked about this idea that Moses we, was, um, had lost all his family history. Often when you read through scriptures, you read of uh, Simon, the son of Roger, uh, the son of Ori, the son of, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but that wasn't the case for Moses. Moses, in this place, in Exodus chapter 3, didn't know who he was. He was a sheep herder. And God wasn't worried about his past. He wasn't worried about his heritage. God simply said, I will be with you. Now understand this. Our past often defines our future in our minds and our spirits. Where God says, I've created a new future for you and I invite you to journey with me into it. Where we say, who am I that I should receive all this? God says, don't worry about it. Because who you think you are is often shaped by all these things that have happened back here. But if you want to step into and journey into something new that I've provided for you, hold on to this. I will be with you. And it's a huge distinction. Our past, there is no doubt, shapes us. But so often in conversations that I have with people, our past is defining them. And we can't break out of our past because of our experiences, uh, what other people have said to us, how other things have done, the mistakes that we've made, the choices that we've made. And our past becomes our defining thought for any kind of future that we might have. Whereas God says, that's it. I've, we're done here. I've got a future for you. I've got a promised land for you. I'll be with you. 
We also talked a little bit last week and it's revealed further when God sees the misery, hears the cry of his people, his concern for them, he comes down and while that was certainly the invitation as he led the people of Israel into the promised land, it's also the invitation as he comes down in the form of Jesus and reveals himself fully. In the life, death and resurrection of Jesus, we hear and encounter a God who sees our misery, he hears our cries, he's concerned for us and he has rescued us. And that's part of what we want to celebrate in our Good Friday service. We want to invite you to come in our Good Friday service and leave these things at the cross in a very tangible way. Often when we leave things at the cross, we write things on a sheet of paper. No, 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 I'm not asking you to write things on a sheet of paper. I'm asking you to bring those things that have slavery written over your life and leave them at the cross. Walk away out of our service and not go home to them again. I don't care if it's a, a computer that every time you sit on that computer and you're locked into pornography and that becomes a slavery thing. I want you to bring that computer and leave it behind. And if you need a computer for work, we'll find another way to do that and protect you and look after you. But if there's something about your marriage that is in your house that has brought you slavery and every time you think about that, it, it causes uh, disappointment and regret, I want you to bring that. I want you to clear your house out and bring that and leave it there. Because it's really easy to write stuff on a piece of paper, isn't it? And we've done that, and it's a good thing to do. Actually, what are the things in slavery that we have over our life? And maybe it's money. Maybe it's the way that we manage our money. <coughs> Bring your money. <laughs> we'll donate it somewhere. We'll make sure it's not a burden for you. You think I'm joking. All right? It's really easy to come and talk about the stuff when we talk about Good Friday, talk about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He has released us. He has called us into something new. To live into that, as we're hearing from the people of Israel, is something else. So we all carry things from our past. The difference between our... Uh, our future is shaped, therefore, by whether we allow those things to remain as open wounds or whether we only carry them as scars. At the end of last week, in chapter 3, we read these obscure verses which sound odd to us. Uh, Exodus chapter 3, verse 21, "...and I will make the Egyptians favourably disposed toward his people, this people." So that when you leave, you will not go empty-handed. Every woman is to ask her neighbour and any woman living in a house for articles of silver and gold and for clothing which you will put on your sons and daughters and so you will plunder the Egyptians. Now we get a little bit uncomfortable with that. The reality is God wants to provide for us in ways that we often don't expect. But we have to be willing to step into the things that he makes a promise for us. And sometimes we're so overwhelmed by trying to control things, we miss out on what God is doing and how he is going about it. And this is actually an indication of God's provision for the care uh, and care for the oppressed, for those who have nothing, for the weak. It's actually an example of how we are meant to live as followers of Jesus. Providing for and finding ways to release greater 
uh, greater resources, as Pete spoke about in the communion, the offering. We then see, um, as we go throughout this journey, if you read throughout Exodus, we see some of God's heart and the people of Israel responding to it. In Exodus chapter 19, uh, verse 3, Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you will be my treasure to possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you will speak to the Israelites. So Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. And the people all responded together. We will do everything that the Lord has said. You know you're in trouble if this is recorded in history. So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. This is actually a covenant and agreement and response that's affirmed in chapter 24, verse 3 as well. In chapter 24, verse 18... We read that Moses has arrived at Mount Sinai. There's a great sense of preparation in Mount Sinai. And he's there for 40 days. 40 days. And this is where we want to explore what we give our attention to and how easily it is to be called back into slavery. Now I want you to understand the time concept here. The people of Israel have been slaves to the people of Egypt for 430 years. In slavery, you've got that, you're keeping up with me? All right, 430 years are in slavery. They're travelling for a few months. They come to Mount Sinai and it's 40 days. Perspective's important as this story unfolds. It doesn't take very long for Israel to be distracted. So we read the story. The story we're going to focus on a little bit more today. Exodus chapter 32. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, he was so long after 430 years. They gathered around Aaron and said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, who is he? We don't know who he is. We don't know what's happened to him. Aaron answered them, Take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. Remember where they got all that gold from? So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. Just a couple of checks in here. Um, This is not unusual to talk in plural in terms of gods. This is not unusual to hedge your bets in this kind of culture. This is actually a natural response. Oh, well, we're not getting what we want. This is all happening too slow. Let's try this God. That while God's not working, let's craft a God here. And there's significance around 
the shapes and the calves and the, uh, the calf and the kind of um, expression that they have. But when we hear uh, this comparison and this tension between here, uh, let's build a calf, they build a calf, here are your gods, there is a festival to the Lord. These are people who are hedging their bets. These are people who are still living in a mindset of what they have seen and um, experienced in 430 years of slavery. So the next day, the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. Afterward, they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. Then the Lord said to Moses, go down because your people, (laughs) I love that, your people, Moses, (laughs) whom you brought up out of Egypt have become corrupt. They have been quick to turn away from what I have commanded them and have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They have bowed down to it and sacrificed to it and have said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. After 40 days, the people forgot. Now, we can't really blame them because at this stage, they didn't have the laws. They didn't have the Ten Commandments where God said, there shall be no other God before me. You shall not make any other idol of gold or silver. They didn't, hadn't received this law yet. So we can't really blame them. It seems harsh to blame them and set them up as a, a bad example. But what we do know is that as God is seeking to establish a new way, people went back to old patterns. And isn't this the truth of our life? When we try to follow Jesus, when we try to follow in his ways, when we try to pay attention, we're somehow drawn back into, sucked back into old patterns of behaviour, old patterns of thinking, old patterns of acting, old patterns of whatever it is, because that's what we know. That's what we've watched. That's what we've been caught up in. We understand this. We might not have been in slavery for 430 years, but we certainly understand bad behaviour and we certainly understand unhealthy, bad, dishonouring decisions that we might have made that we so easily get dragged back into, despite the promises that we have now had revealed to us, despite the commandments that we have received, despite the, the good news that we know or have heard about in Jesus. Here is a people who have declared that they will do whatever they are told and it takes them 40 days, 40 days to look for something else to replace Moses and this God. They've received a promise that invites them to journey into a, in a new land, into a promised land. And they have complained and they have grizzled. <laughs> I mean, this is a people who are not in slavery anymore. There hasn't been enough food, there hasn't been enough water, it's too hot, it's too far, we're going to die. It would have been better for us to die in Egypt. And maybe that's how you're living today. Maybe that's how you're living in an old pattern. It would just be better if we just went back there, if we just did that, because that was easy. See, the thing is, when we get to Mount Sinai, God wants to establish people as he sees them. And in the midst of trying to establish people as he sees them, he's wrestling with the people who can only see themselves as slaves. As wounded, broken people. That's all they think they are. 
And the very thing that God gave to bless and provide were used to create their own gods. We will do everything the Lord has said. And they couldn't wait 40 days. There's some science, I, don't, I can't remember, and I have, but there's some science that says it takes 30 days to break a habit or to create a new one. This is actually all psychological reading and you can look it up at making habits and breaking habits. It takes you about 30 days. Most of us probably give up at day 15, so I suppose 40 days is pretty good. But Israel are committed to waiting for instruction and they lost sight of the journey into God's promises. And look, we really understand this. We understand the disappointment. We understand our frustration. We understand that we've been distracted. We understand our setbacks that we've had. We understand that things haven't gone according to plan. We understand that maybe we're not receiving things in the way that we think we should have received them. We understand too, for those of us who have been along this journey for any period of time, that God has invited us into a promised land that God has invited us into something new. But we're so easily drawn back into old behaviour. We live in a constant tension between what we expect and the reality. We live in a constant tension between of who am I and God saying, I'll be with you. See, we, we receive the scriptures. We've received scriptures in uh, full technicolor with the full story, the complete story, and the scriptures are life-giving and transformative until someone wants to argue something out of scriptures and use the scriptures to simply prove a point rather than discover the heart of God. A slavery mindset. We have the opportunity as a church to step into new facilities it's been a long time coming, it's been a lot of thought, it's been a lot of prayer, it's been a lot of cost involved, but if we serve the building rather than the building serving us, we have forgotten God's greater promises. And we're living in a slavery mindset rather than the promise that God has said, I'll be with you. If we think personally, we have our cars, our homes and our finances, gifts that bring blessing, even our experience of um, intimacy, and sex, all these things that bring blessing that can be used in a uh, destructive way because they become the thing that we set above God. They become our greater focus. As soon as our work becomes priority over our family, over the relationship that we want to have with God, as soon as our status or our ministry or our position, or our busyness, or our experience becomes our excuse for treating our family badly, or treating anyone badly for that matter. We have broken the covenant, and we become slaves all over again. We've lost our identity in God through Jesus Christ. We allow it to be stolen from us. But we have something else. We have someone else to set our eyes on. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, even to this day when Moses is read, a veil covers their heart. So even when people read the story of Moses, the Jewish people read the story of Moses, they still don't get the glory of God. They haven't seen the glory of God revealed. But whenever, whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image. 
This is an ongoing work. With ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. It is a work that has been complete through the life, death and resurrection of Jesus, but it is ongoing work because we are human. Because we are still being refined. But we do get stuck with an identity that's often determined by our experiences or by our past. So let me explain it like this. There's a number of people of us, uh, and it's, this is people sitting amongst us. While there are people who have cancer in us, we are not cancer. Our cancer does not define us. Our cancer does not identify us. We are people living with cancer. We are people who have experienced tragedy, sadness and hardship, but they don't define us. We are people who live with mental illness, but we are not the mental illness. We are people who have been abused, but abused is not our name, nor is it our identity. We have been the abuser. And perhaps we can even give reason for it, but that is not how God sees us. We go to work, but work is not who we are. We might have lied, we might have stolen, we might have cheated, we might have been... um, sexually unfaithful, unfaithful in our marriage, but that doesn't make me a liar, a thief or a cheat. Unless we want to live as slaves. All these things mean that we, lo- we live in a fallen, broken world. When we become distracted by time, when we become distracted by circumstances or events, we've lost sight of the promise that God has offered that we walk into a new land with him. That we journey into new life with him. See, our identity is in being seen as God's children and that has the capacity to change everything. Our identity has... um, being seen as God's children and that has the capacity to change everything. It's something that many of us struggle to receive or grasp because we become so focused on life, quite frankly. Life just gets in the way, doesn't it? <laughs> and it's often our, what we think of ourselves is often expressed in how we view others and how we treat others. Jesus encounters people and he sees them for who they are. We read the story in Mark chapter 14. While Jesus was in Bethany, he was reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, which is an interesting concept in itself. A leper who has a home, who invites guests into his home. This is an unusual kind of... This is a... This is almost like Jesus being really intentional and the author here is setting up a shock story. People in this community would have heard this. We read over this way too easy, but I've read over this, but it occurred to me even this week how dramatic that statement is. A leper still has a home. Go and read your laws. <laughs> because I don't feel like you've captured the full shock of that. Lepers are normally picked up, cast out of the town and left out there. 
a leper still has a home and he's invited Jesus into it. One that's meant to be demolished if the leprosy hasn't left him. This is bizarre. A woman came, and if that's not shocking enough, a woman shows up. A woman came, a woman came in an alabaster jar of, and, and we look, we might laugh at that, but I guarantee if this was happening in our community, we would be whispering about it. I don't know what the comparison is these days anymore, but um, we'd whisper about it. A woman came in an alabaster jar, a very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar, poured the perfume on his head, and some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, Jesus said. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. And then we skip ahead to verse 9. Truly I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. So wait, here's a man who has leprosy, slavery mentality, invites Jesus into his home, not slavery mentality, and a woman comes and the story will be told of this woman. That is how God sees you and I. I don't care what you've done. I don't care. This is, everyone else knew what this woman had done. There's plenty of research that might, you know, they've, why this waste of perfume? How did this woman afford a year's worth of perfume? All sorts of suspicion around that. That's not the point, Jesus says. Do you see her? That's not her story. This story is that she has poured out herself to me. The same story is told in, uh, in Luke chapter 7, or a similar story, uh, where Jesus is invited into another Simon's house. Interestingly, Simon the Pharisee, a religious leader. Invites him, you know, important, honouring, status, symbol, well-known in the community, well-respected in the community. And again, this woman interferes with this party. This important meal that was going to set Simon the Pharisee's status even higher because he was, after all, having a meal with Jesus. And this woman comes in and starts weeping. And Jesus asks this one very simple question. Do you see her? And what Jesus is actually saying is actually... Simon, I don't know why there's so many Simons in the Gospels. I don't, what's wrong with my parents naming me after these? They're terrible people. But um, what Jesus is actually saying, you see her for all her past. I see her. Full stop. Now, my suspicion is for most of us is that we're the ones that drag up the past. And we're the ones who will find a reason why God can't love us. And we're the ones who will find a reason why we can't do what we think we should do. And we're the, reason, we're the ones who will find a reason why other people have done this. And Jesus says, I see you. I see you.
I wonder if uh, when the people of Israel have been waiting for 40 days after 430 years of slavery, after several months of travelling, I wonder if Moses had had the courage to say, this is not who we are. This is no longer who we want to be. That would have changed the course of their history. I don't know what's happened in your world. I don't know what you're struggling with. I don't know what you battled to overcome. I don't know what's sitting in your head. I don't know what open wounds you've got in your spirit, in your heart, in your mind. But this is not who you are. If we can find contentment in the knowledge that God has promised to be with us and working out his purpose, then we will be able to continue the journey into the promised land that God has. But if we take control, if we seek to take control of God working out his purposes and determining how he should work and how it should happen and what timeline it should happen in, we've lost sight of what he has already done. We've lost sight of what he has already offered us. Friends, don't live as slaves. Don't live with a slavery mindset of what has happened in the past, but step into the future in the knowledge of God being with you and calling us into something new. Thanks, team. We're not slaves to our past. We're not slaves to what others think of us. We're not slaves to how others have seen us. We're not slaves to the past decisions. We're not slaves to what we've seen and done about ourselves or for ourselves. We are God's children, invited to journey into his promises. And as we do at the end of every week, we invite you to respond. And maybe you want to declare that Jesus is Lord for the first time. Maybe you need to reset that declaration. Maybe you need prayer in things that you're struggling with and that are um, breaking you down and bringing you back into a slavery mindset. But Jesus calls out and says, I see you, I hear you, I'm concerned for you, I know you. How might that change tomorrow? How might that change when we go home if we're willing to be transformed further into his image?